Oh, hey there, listeners and juicers. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you have fallen in love with the Draw Your Dice podcast and want to help put some new fruit on the table, but don't feel comfortable making a monthly commitment, well, you can support the show via the ACAST supporter feature. No gift too large, nor too small. Just click on the link in the show description and know that I am sending you the strongest hug when you do so. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. But that's what I thought it, it, I wanted to, it to be like, like to, to go around and like say goodbye to the places that I had loved. And, and so I... I put that that thought process and that that feeling into into a thing that I was familiar with which, which was a game welcome to the draw your dice podcast the show that calls on the champions and new contenders of the tabletop RPG arena my name is Jeremy Gage and I am learning about tabletop game design and publishing if you are a budding game designer or a veteran looking for fresh musings, Stay tuned as we learn about the inspirations, processes, and philosophies of professionals in the industry. Hello, everyone. It is a pleasure to hear, have you all listen here again? I'm still working out what a good intro is for this show, so I hope that you're having fun watching me flubber. Today, we have a really amazing guest. They used to be a co-host over on the Action Points podcast with lots of insightful articles, so please go check that out. He has just gotten done making a game every month for the last year and has absolutely destroyed that goal by going above 12, hailing all the way from Klang, Malaysia. I'd like to welcome today's guest, Aaron Lim. Hello. Hi, Jeremy. Hi. Do you, do, I, I saw you go by Remy on the email. Should I, do, do you prefer Jeremy or, or Remy? Jeremy is super okay. okay it's a okay. relic of the past. I can't change. <laughs> <laughs> God yeah. damn it. Aaron, welcome to the show. For the people at home, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit as you present yourself to the world? Yeah, yeah. Well, first off, thanks for having me here. Uh, yeah, so so as you did such a good in- job introducing me, I used to run a <laughs> podcast and I design games, tabletop games. Mainly, I used to mainly des- design like card and board games. That was like one of the big things that I was into. I used to help. I also used to help run a 
monthly regular playtesting event back when I lived in Melbourne. So we did a lot of playtesting of mainly card and board games as well. And in the last couple of years also, I started getting back into RPGs. I used to play back in like, two, you know, I started playing in like 2009 or something. And then we, you know, everyone grows up and gets busy. Your, your group kind of disbands for a while. And then, a, and then a few years ago, we started playing again. And then I got the itch to like start, you know, making things. So I've been designing tabletop RPGs on itch. Itch has been really helpful and, and useful as, as a platform and, and not so much a it's kind of kind of tricky. It's not so much the community features that I I, I like, but I I really like like the the game jam features on itch. We can talk about that a little bit more late, late, later. But like mm-hmm. I I'm a huge fan of of game jams and the structure that they give, which was one of the big things that helped me on this project that you mentioned. So this this year I I resolved. I told myself that I would uh, design uh, a game a month, which is you know not. It, it it to to me it's like okay yeah yeah it's quite quite a big thing but also like you know I've seen I think Adriel Wallach did a game a week for uh oh, for a year that's like fifty two games so it's like oh yeah okay that, that, <laughs> um you know that that's impressive <laughs> yeah um but but yeah twelve games over twelve months was also I mean I'm trying I'm trying to be better at like not not selling myself too short but like. Yeah, I think I did a pretty good job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are quite a few games that I've kind of poked around and peeked at for today's talk that I'm really interested in in diving in about mm. that have been a part of your project stuff. Like I, I got the Homebound package that you were selling on Itch that mm-hmm. has some really cool games in it. And we just had a, especially one of them is the your lyric game that you created, the How to Say Goodbye. Yeah. And we just had a guest on here, Adira, who also kind of focuses on lyrical games. And I'm glad to have a kind of a back-to-back with that. Before we start diving into game speak and principles and all of that nitty-gritty, what was... I like to remind people that everyone starts somewhere. What was sort of... You already talked about sort of your first kind of touch points with games, period. But what was the point that you first started wanting to design games? What brought you into wanting to play with and make your own games? I guess that there's two answers to that question, depending whether you want to focus on like tabletop RPGs or, or games in general. Games in general, like I've been, I've been, I've wanted to like make games since like I was a kid, probably po- the Pokemon trading card game was the, the first one that was like, oh yeah, yeah, I could do this. Like, you know, yes. it's, just make, it's just making cards, right? Like it's just making new cards for, for, for a game system that already exists. Like I, I feel like a lot of people who started playing like Magic and, and Pokemon like and getting into like custom cards and stuff like that. It's like, oh, wouldn't it be cool? Because, because that those games have a structure that is modular. Like you have like a, a base system and then there's so many parts that you can design to fit within it that it it kind of likes i i suspect it sparked a lot of people into like making games and designing games just from like simple things and like making your own cards and like oh how cool it cool would it be to like convert this character from like a different show or something and make like a Yu-Gi-Oh card or a poker or, or a, a magic card version um, of that character mm-hmm. how would you do that that kind of you know like back back then in <laughs> when i was like a, a, a young child on the internet and say like, oh yeah I want to make Teenage Mutant Mutant Ninja Turtles as magic cards. 
totally. Um, that that kind of stuff, right? Like that that I think that yeah. definitely was was a thing that that got me started on thinking of games as things that you could make because it's it it felt very achievable, right? Like making one card mm-hmm. is not not that difficult, and then you slowly realize that oh, okay, if you make one card, it has to interact with other things, and it interacts with the systems, and like oh, can you change the systems? And like I moved from playing Pokemon to playing Magic, and like Magic especially was was quite a big eye-opener for me because of like the different formats of play when and you know in pokemon i was like okay yeah you play against one other person you win prizes whatever and then learning that like oh you can play drafts you can play multiplayer you can play like there's so many different ways to play magic that the same underlying system could be adapted to and that kind of like like sparked something uh in me as well and like saying oh okay yeah so you know you can design parts for the game and then you can design different ways to play the same game. And then from that, that kind of like led to like thinking about like game design in general. And I think one of the, the big kind of like uh, beacons, and I, and I still think like what, what he, he does is a great resource. Mark, Mark Rosewater and the Magic R&D team, they are very, I think they were pretty innovative in a way that they were very consistently and trans- not fully transparently of course because they're still a company but they talked about like design and development pretty pretty regularly and, and openly on, on their website like they published articles about designing magic mm-hmm. every week like there'd be a design article and a development article every week and I used to just read all of them and, and so having that kind of like insight into like oh this is what game designers think about and, and, and do was, was a huge like inspiration and if we w- want to get to like tabletop RPGs specifically, like I mentioned like I, I started playing in 2009 with like fourth edition Dungeons and Dragons, and I one of the ways that I got into to to fourth edition was through podcast because I had I actually tried to start playing D and D back in like third edition couldn't find people like back then I hadn't thought to like use the internet to make friends to like find people to play with but like so I, I only looked to like the people around me right and like I found one friend who was like willing and able to like help like you know like maybe one day we'll play and like we daydream <laughs> while reading reading the the uh pirated pdf of uh, <laughs> third edition because we were young and those books are expensive they're so expensive mm-hmm. Like it's it's expensive for an American. Like it's way more expensive. Like in in Malaysia, when you you take that into mm. account, like the, the the conversion into account, like it's hundreds of mm. offering it. Wow. Anyways, that's a digression. So, <laughs> so because I listened to po- podcasts, right? And I actually had the the. And I listened to different multiple podcasts, like uh, Wizards put out their own ones, and they did the collaboration, like for, with with Chris Perkins, and then they did the collaboration with Penny Arcade and with not um, Robot Chicken. I almost said Rooster mm-hmm. Teeth. They they you know they they did that, and I listened to Critical Hit, which was another D and D fourth edition podcast, and there's a, there's a few others that I I I don't remember because I I the ones that the one that I I stuck to in the end was. <clears throat> was critical hit and hearing how they hacked the game and like oh the the way that they play is different from what I would have read from the book so so one it w- was good it was a good way to learn how to play but it also just straight up told me oh you don't have to follow the rules that are in the book just just hack the stuff to like make it work how you want it to work and, and so that that was like also a thing so 
so you know started trying to make custom classes in in fourth edition like making up like special powers to give out to players like special items and like making sure that they worked within fourth edition's framework and i didn't think of of myself as designing a tabletop rpg back then just because fourth edition felt so much like for for good and bad i i love fourth edition but like for good and bad it felt a lot like a tactical war game or like a a yeah, tactical skirmish game. Mm-hmm. In fact, the the dungeon command series where where they just like lost all pretense of it being the 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 fourth edition combat system of it being an RPG and just like look, let's just clean up the combat system and make it a skirmish game. Like it it was fun. Um, so I I still thought of that as like oh, it's kind of like similar to board game design. So that that's kind of like the first things that I did in 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 tabletop RPGs, and I think that's where a lot of people start, right? Like hacking in new items, hacking in new powers or classes, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But the the first like real full game that I wanted to to make was probably like uh, I wanted to to hack in. So so this is funny because. You mentioned Homebound, the the, the zine mm-hmm. that I put together. Mm-hmm. So one one <clears throat> one of the the games in there was is Far From Home, and that started actually as just a way to like, oh, I wanted to hack in a uh, different option for for losing stress in Blades in the Dark and downtime because I wanted that to be a you know like the idea of uh, diaspora people people like living within a, a different place like immigrants like the way that they would lose stress like like especially with the i think the scovlands are mm-hmm. uh, and the eruvians in in the base doskval setting mm-hmm. are, are not from doskval so mm-hmm. i wanted to have the option of like hey we we blow off steam by like going to the, their <clears throat> chinatown equivalent or like koreatown mm-hmm. equivalent and like hanging out and like eating the food that i miss from back home that kind of thing and and i originally was just working on that being like oh it's just a small hack to to downtime which then morphed into like oh i want to make a game about this and then i was like i played mask and like oh that also like fired up like oh mask is such a, a great cool system of like seeing how it actually applies the underlying PBTA system in in really interesting ways that that doesn't follow, uh, because I I think back then I was playing a lot more Dungeon World, so like that still felt very similar to like like D and D and and like the typical fantasy. Oh, you have hit points, you have armor and stuff like that, and like the way masks mm-hmm. did things was like so different. And so then I wanted to make that into like I wanted to make the the to combine those two ideas together and make that like a, a mask style game using that stress release idea and then that morphed into a different game entirely and into like it uses a no dice no masters belonging mm-hmm. outside belonging engine so like that was the one that i wanted to make and was working on in like the background for a while but the first game that i actually released on itch was actually the the lyric game you mentioned how to say goodbye was the first thing i published on itch i think yeah mm-hmm. So that's the long wow. answer to the short question. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love long answers, and I think everyone at home definitely benefits from long answers like that. It's really interesting that sort of your first touch point for games was, were trading card games. For me, I think that was also very similar. I started playing Magic the Gathering when Meriden had just came out as a yeah, set. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I started around I then put- as well, actually. Yeah, my my older brother had gotten just stopped playing with Scourge and Torment, which I think is the Planes Shift block. No one, no one in Magic history <laughs> quote me on that. That's not. That's probably not true. But 
it was sort of a hand-me-down from my older brother. Like, yeah, here's here's this lava iguana that yeah. have it. Have, like, four cards. And I was like, okay, good. okay cool. And my mom at the time was giving me, like, Pokemon cards and Yu-Gi-Oh cards and stuff like that. God bless my mom. Mom, if you're listening, thank you for <laughs> buying me all those pieces of cardboard that I would later throw into a fire because I didn't know what to do with them. <laughs> yeah, I was not, not an intelligent 13-year-old. But I think it's really fascinating that because we've had quite a wide range of where people have started with games on this show. Most people Hmm. have done like board games. Some people have also started with like D&D second edition or third edition. So Hmm. I think it's really fascinating that one of your first touch points with games is trading card games. Hmm. And I agree with you. I think the modularity of hacking away at those cards and being like, okay, what if it what if this card had trample first strike and double strike oh i see why that would be a problem for the game (laughs) or you know it starts to evolve from there and really expand in your mind of like what interacts with different cards and then you start thinking about interacting with systems and then when you get to the tabletop you're really thinking about how everything intertwines with each other and i think that's a really great way of experiencing or um learning that sort of connective reasoning when designing a game well, let's let's start talking about <laughs> some of those games, Aaron. Yeah. So I know you wanted to talk about Student Protectors of Malaysia for sure. Mm-hmm. And I also know that I really want to talk about your homebound games because there's such a different variety in there. Mm-hmm. But let's start with Student Protectors of Malaysia. So it's a powered by the apocalypse game. But for the people at home, because you're going to do a way better job than I will, <laughs> would you just, just give a brief introduction of what Student Protectors of Malaysia is about? Yeah, so, so like you mentioned, it's a powered by the apocalypse game about student superheroes trying to juggle their mundane responsibilities and obligations with with being superheroes and like, like yeah, juggling those two. And <laughs> the, the thing, why, why I wanted to talk about it and why I put it on my like... Um, there's a game jam going on now. I'm not sure when this is going to be released. So uh, hopefully, maybe that game jam is still running because it runs to the end of the year. Um, it's the hi- highlight jam. It's a really great idea of like just just prompting people to to submit games that they thought were their favorite or best ones from from 2020. And I submitted uh, student protectors to that because I think why I'm really pr- like excited to talk about that game is because like it came from like. A, it's like a lot of my games like it came from like a really like uh, kind of shitposty idea to like just I, I want the stats to be like like the s- subjects from sco- the the so the Sigil Pelajaran Malaysia the SPM is the the final exam for a secondary school I think that would be GCEs for for Americans yeah so it's it's kind of like that equivalent like you use that to mm-hmm. like get into to Pre U pre university or or university programs, mm. and so I I really wanted the stats to be the 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 subjects in 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 the SPM, and and I made sure that like everything k- kind of like referenced the SPM like the phases are called student protector and marking phase so they say SP and M, like I I get weird about like structural things like that mm. often to I I think to my own detriment I'm trying to 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 stick to commit to the bit too hard when I probably shouldn't. <laughs> But, but yeah, like uh, that, that, that's, that's the game. Like it's, it's about being like, 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 and, and, and the thing is, I, I really like masks, but Mm -hmm. it tells a specific type of superhero story. 
and mm-hmm. the the one that I wanted to represent in SPM is actually the Janus, right? Like the the if, if you've played Mars before, the Janus is the one who has to try and you know uh, juggle a, a mundane life with a a super uh, superhero responsibilities. And I mm-hmm. wanted a game that would just focus more on that because that's also a big theme in like you know Malaysian or or pretty generally in like student culture where you're like. Yeah, I gotta go to school and do all this stuff and like think about like like that's that's a pretty transitional liminal phase of like your 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 life, right? Like you're trying to become an adult, like slowly becoming like getting to that that threshold and like thinking what do you wanna do with your life and you know, you have all these obligations but you have all these dreams that, that you want to, to, to do as well. And I guess that's why the, those kind of superhero stories are are really resonant because they, they tie into those anxieties as well of like yeah, I, I have all this like potential and power, but like I also have these other obligations. So I wanted the game to kind of focus on that, and I, I think I think it does a pretty good job of it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, a long yeah. long answer to a, a short question. No, not not at all. Again, I love long answers. So I think it's really when I was reading this. For me, it my touchstone. So yeah, we have stuff like the SATs, the ACTs that help us get SATs, into yeah. uh, uni- uh, university and stuff like that. I'm sure GC exists somewhere because I am not academically equipped to talk about every version of test we have in America. But what the feeling of this game, and I'm sort of an anime junkie, so the my biggest touch points for this reminded me of like Fate Stay, Unlimited Blade Works, and sort of like the first arc of Bleach and stuff like that, where they were mm. at school and they had to manage being at school, but, you know, they're Shinigami yeah. uh, superheroes, so they gotta get out of there and do stuff, and they all have their strengths and weaknesses that are also transposed from their daily lives as yeah. well. You know, the difference between Chad and Ichigo and the difference between Orihime and Rukia and stuff like that, so... Mm-hmm. I thought it was I thought it was really awesome to read and it was I like how this comes from a place of kind of putting the things you see as important or defining of Malaysian culture or sort of that uh, coming of age story right because masks is sort of a coming of age story but like you said it's a very specific coming of age story this touches on a completely different culture and set of traditions that I think is really awesome in terms of a superhero game. Mm-hmm. So for me and for the people at home, I think what I would like to know is what is probably your favorite piece of design in this in this particular game? And then maybe also what are you still kind of wrestling with? Cuz I see I see this as version 0.03, which means mm-hmm. you don't consider it done by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. What are you what are you still wrestling with and what do you find really interesting about your game in particular? Yeah, so I already mentioned my my committing to the bit thing. Like I mm. like I I'm that I'm that guy. I'm that guy who wants to like stick in the joke everywhere. Mm-hmm. So like I'll I'll always have a soft spot for stuff like that. I I can't I can't not admit that. But but in terms <laughs> of like like the, the the actual like design decisions, uh, I actually modeled the game after Monster of the Week. That was the other game oh. that that was a, a big touchstone for. In that there's there's a 
separation separation of phases. So so you you mm-hmm. do the investigation phase, which is the, the student phase, and then you go to the protector phase when you go deal with the threat, and then there's the marking phase where where you it's it's basically like downtime in in Forged mm-hmm. in the Dark games. Because the, the core loop that I, I, I originally wanted to have is just that you, you have to to gain this preparation in, in like investigating this these threats to your town. And I and I also wanted it to be a very local game. Like right? Like I, mm. I, I think the the way I framed it is that like you, you care about your town, like your your, your mm-hmm. locality. It shouldn't be like part of it is 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 just the scale of things. Like your students, you're you're not meant to be dealing with like cosmic scale threats, right? So 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 part of that is to like keep that flavor of like the power levels kind of like not that high, but also just 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 to keep that sense of like you know like you you actually kind of have some connection to 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 the town and the people living there and and so you that's why you want to protect it, and then you go into so 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 you then go to the protector phase when you go deal with the threat. So in the original version of the game, I, I it, it didn't actually play into the obligations as much. There wasn't an obligation clock. There wasn't a a, a danger rating. Like the, those were added in later after after playtest, because the original core thing that I wanted the game to do was just like you 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 get that preparation. You can spend it to, and then you have to choose whether you want to spend that preparation. The things that you've learned about the town, or like the, just the general experience and learning things throughout, like being a superhero, like dealing with stuff to to deal with the threat. Or you can then, or you can take that preparation, save it up to the end of the the phase, uh, to the marking phase, and like, you know, take that and like do well in your exams and like, so so that was kind of like the core idea that I started with, and I and and I think the obligation clocks and the the way it ties in, so, so the way it ties into like the danger rating and the attention rating, that's the part that I'm pretty excited about, partly because it's new. Mm-hmm. And it's because of good feedback from the playtest, and and that like mm-hmm. you know the players were like, hey, this feels like this sh- this should be more of a thing. Like this feels like the the thing, um, like 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 what you mentioned, right? Like uh, maybe not bleach in particular because they were pretty laissez faire about going to class. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I agree. I agree. But there, there's other. I I, I can't think of them off the top of my head whether there's a better fit because like my mm-hmm. hero academia they don't really go to class as well but i'm class sure there is are. work yeah 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 sailor I'm moon sure maybe are. maybe 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 it's the magical girl shows yeah yeah um yeah. Or, or or the sentai shows where they they have yeah. to go and that, like that's a huge influence from my early life as well i love all the power rangers mm-hmm. and sentai stuff yes so balancing between those two things like so when i played i i, I did a play test of that game with a, a with a, a few people and they were like yeah that feels like it should be more of a tension rather than just like because like i was i was playing it up as a, a fictional thing of that happening i was like hey you know obviously like, you can't go just go around as students like people will think you're cutting class or something right so so the feedback was really good and and led me to like focus on that. Oh, yeah, I think that should that could be like a, a core identity of the game of like how the game works and like trying to balance those clocks. That should feel like what you're doing, like like balancing clocks between like try you know if if you leave if you leave the the threat alone and and deal with your obligations, then the danger rating goes up. If you deal with mm-hmm. the obligation. So if you if you focus on dealing with a the threat, then your obligations come calling, and when when you get forced to to deal with your obligation, then the threat goes up. 
so I, I I'm in I'm really keen to like get more playtests of that going to see, to to see how that system works in in action, and in, in and and that's also kind of like the the place where I I see it needs more work in tuning because I, I think that that probably is going to be like a pretty fine thing to to balance the feel of uh, and that's mm-hmm. the part that i haven't actually like i, I made that change like r- right after the playtest and i haven't been able to playtest it <laughs> yet even mm-hmm. though it feels like such a core component of the game now um mm-hmm. so so that's the thing that i'm like oh I'm the I'm most excited about like I'm really like happy and like like keen to like like get get that going but also the part that I'm worried about and I want to work more on as in like that's definitely going to be like if if it, and when I can get a playtest of it going again I I want to focus on 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 that cuz a lot of the powered by the apocalypse moves are like I I I I hacked them from like mask or something. So like, there's a baseline level of like, yeah, they w- they work, right? Like like there's mm-hmm. a yeah, there's a reference point there to like like other people's work already that, that I can kind of like rely on. Whereas this structural thing, I'm I'm more concerned about. Yeah, and also there's like a lot more guidance in like talking about making moves and stuff like that versus these kind of system changes. Um, mm-hmm. Although that's being talked about now more like like phased uh phased gameplay like especially because of mm-hmm. like forge in the dark like people mm-hmm. talking about the, the the delineation between like downtime and and like action phases like i think i was just reading lancer as well and lancer also has that delineation so like that's definitely something that that's in the zeitgeist of like things people are like exploring like and 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 i that there's more there's there's a growing body of work and a growing body of analysis on those systems as well which i think will be it's exciting and will help in the same way that like i'm i feel more confident in like the moves not falling over because i can rely on like more advice and like look look at what other people have done versus like this like phase system which which <laughs> more people are starting to work on now mhm mm. yeah i you said some a lot of interesting things there. One, I think what a good takeaway for sure is when you're creating sort of a fantasy-based game, or really, I guess, any game, but thinking about the scope of influence of the characters that players are inhabiting. Like you said, uh, students of, student protectors of Malaysia, they care about their town, right? You didn't want a game where they were going to go out and handle like eldritch gods and demons and everything like that. They're focused on what's happening in their town and protecting it. Yeah. Which I think for me as a, as a beginning designer, like I come, my first tabletop game was D and D five E. And ever since then, I always fall into this like mental trap of like, how are my players going to scale from fighting bandits on the road to cosmic entities that are threatening to destroy the entire planet, right? And sometimes you can create a game about any one of those stages and stay within that, stay within that biome and still have a very powerfully impactful environment and systems at your disposal. So I thought that was, that was very interesting to hear. And it's also interesting to hear how you currently are working with one piece of mechanic that is relatively innovative and new and sort of like takes a lot of pieces from things, but you still fall back on some hacked elements that says, okay, the system is still working here Mm -hmm. and I can keep playing with my new toy. And when 
that breaks or is finished, then I can start looking to the more grounded pieces of design that I that have been tried and true, right? That mm-hmm. have been made from other systems. So I think that stuff is really good. And the last thing that I think is really, really interesting is this talk about phased play. Mm-hmm. I know that for me, one of the things I disliked about my D&D 5e games, and I mostly run them, mm-hmm. I think there's this, there's two phases that the game has that no one, t- like the game doesn't talk about, and that yeah, is yeah, combat yeah. and not combat, right? Yep. Like everything that is not combat is wrapped around itself, and then combat is its huge like hour and a half of the session entity. And for me, I always felt that that was a little unsatisfying because it feels like things like skill checks and everything like that, the game doesn't really care about in mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. They're like basically skip buttons that you hit when you want to like skip the cutscene or skip the exploration, right? It's like, I want to search the room. Cool. Hit your perception button. Mm-hmm. Cool. You found everything you need to find. Move on. And it's like the faster we can get to the encounter, the faster we can get to actually playing D&D 5th edition, right? Mm-hmm. So I really like that you noted that we're moving into a stage of design of talking about phased things like Forge in the Dark, like Monster of the Week, like even Aegon, the Paragon system that that just came out a little bit recently. They mm-hmm. even have sort of a phased system. I mean, same writer and creator, but mm-hmm. so that's to be expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think all of that is really great information for people. And then, so I also want to talk about the kind of touch on each of the homebound games because first of all what i like about the marketing of it as a package feels really complete for me as a consumer and i love that there are all these this through line of theme when it comes to home and what it means to leave home come home and be on a journey right so the first game in that package is how to say goodbye which is a lyric game and I love sort of the poetry that's that's in it. I also, I mean, you talk about it. You're the designer, right? So why don't you give a little a little brief walkthrough of what of what how to say goodbye is? Yeah, it's retroactively a lyric game in the sense that like mm-hmm. when I when I designed it, I didn't you know lyric game hadn't been coined yet. The the phrase it's not. Like people had been designing those games, but that, that that phrase hadn't been coined yet. So I didn't I didn't think of of that game as a lyric game. But like I I'm I made that game back in twenty eighteen. I I get into this. I, I get in. I I talk about it a, a bit in in Homebound itself. Just just mm-hmm. to give a bit of context, Homebound as a zine has a preface for each game that kind of like talks a little bit about its design and context, and reason why I made Homebound as a whole was because I, I I moved back from Melbourne to to Malaysia back in at the end of 2019 and I knew I was moving back from 2018 like I, I had gotten married at the start of the year my wife moved to uh, Melbourne to to do a master's degree for for two years and we knew that at the end of that once once she was uh, once she had completed her master's there was like, you know, it's 80% that we would come back here, you know. There was a possibility, like a small possibility that, oh, okay, yeah, maybe if she decides to like stay, then we'll stay. But like, most likely we would come back. So so in 2018, I, w- I already knew I was 
moving back to Malaysia. And that game was made as kind of a, a way to process that. As well as, like, one of my friends was also moving away because of, of visa issues, like, visa work visa issues. I actually mm-hmm. gave him a copy of that game as, like, a, a goodbye present. And, like, it, it, was a, it was a whole bunch of things, like, right? And, and there were, it was made on the morning of, on one of the mornings of PAX Australia, which has always been, like, a big uh, event for me personally because... It was the one time in a year where I got to see a lot of people who uh, who who weren't in Melbourne, like you know, from Sydney or from Brisbane. Like I, I'm friends with like you know people from like people from out of state would come for for packs. Like it's a big enough event that they would travel for it, and so that's one of the few times in a year that I would get to see them because like they'd make the, make the trip out to Melbourne for it. So, and then like always on the last day, like it's you know bittersweet, like you know. I've, I'll see you next year, I guess. <laughs> so so all those things were kind of like weighing heavily. And and because I knew this was like my second last PAX that I would get to see them easily. So all, all those kind of like things came together and like I, I had been following like indie game design at that, at that by, by that point. Um, I was aware of like a bunch of like small games that, that had this kind of similar feel of trying to get a feeling or an, an an emotion or a theme down into a game, and so I wanted to do the same thing for that, and that's where it came from really. And I like I made it with the idea that like oh this is wasn't really something that I wanted to play, or, but like it felt true, like it felt it felt right in that like that was what I wanted. That's what I thought it it I wanted to, it to be like like. To, to go around and like say goodbye to the places that I had loved and, and so I, I put that that thought process and that that feeling into into a thing that I was familiar with which which was a game right like I, I I'm not like a, a, a painter or a, a writer or something so like I make a game to process my <laughs> feelings wow and so so that's where that came from and then the rest of homebound is also stuff that that like, like you mentioned like it, it deals with like home and going away so like I the other two games in there also have to do with with home and travel mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. wow that's thanks for thanks for sharing that yeah, in in Homebound, it does have a decent amount of design sort of notes before each game, which I think is really, really cool. If anyone wants to go out and get my man's Homebound package, you get some really great games with that and, and some really good yeah. insights as well. And some, some context for that, right? Like, I, I made Homebound... Like, I, I, I'm... I'm always torn about these games because, like I mentioned, I, I made How to Say Goodbye partly for, for a friend and, and, and gave them mm-hmm. a version of that before they left. So it feels strange to, like, share it as, as a thing for other people because mm-hmm. it, it feels mm-hmm. personal. But I also, like, I like I just tweeted it out. Like, that's where the, the, the game came from. I just tweet, tweeted it out. And and the rest of Homebound, like the whole package, uh, the whole zine, which which I actually made together with, uh, I want to shout out my collaborators on the zine. V Hendro Excellent. did the 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 layout. Um, she's one part of the Story Brewers, and they do uh, Good Society and I th- 
I think at the Little Box RPGs with the, the last Kickstarter they did it and and like she does amazing like layout work and I, I got to work with another artist Cecile Richard who, who did the cover and, and, and she, she does like they do amazing work as well but I mean that that whole project was put together as a going away present as well so like before I left in 2019 so there's a version of Homebound which has more like personal photos and stuff in it mm-hmm. um, that I gave away to friends and and people who were influential on me getting into like game design and and doing game design work so so they got like the more personal version of the zine and then I had a kind of like less personal version put up online mm-hmm. so that that's the version that you can get but again I still am a little bit like that's why I'm always a bit like mm. it, it feels strange to be like selling it as a, as a thing but it, I'm also proud of it which is why I, I mm. put it up and like hey I, I want other people to see this too because I think I think mm-hmm. we did I mean partly it's because V and, and Cecile did great job as well and I didn't want it to just be um lost right like so well not lost i mean (laughs) i gave it like some the people that have it have it i think that i'm like slightly tearing up over here about how much these games speak from your from your personal life i think i think it's a really amazing piece of art that that you've been willing to share with others and i think that's really cool what i love that in its existence is that it helps codify at least for how to say goodbye it really codifies a feeling of like moving on, you know, high school's coming to an end. We're all going to go our separate ways to college, right? We're going to have to leave our hometown and and go somewhere else. And we've built up 18 years of memories together or elementary school or, you know, leaving a job or something like that. Like we've all had this feeling of bittersweet goodbyes and this game codifies it in a very beautiful way and can definitely be like i imagine playing this game with like uh, a sparked reunion of friends and like we reminisce about different memories we had in, in college or at work or anything like that and and then you know when the weekend is over and we all have to go back to our daily lives you know obviously we can't do that right now because covid <laughs> things but I think that it's, I think it could be really beautiful for like, at least for me, for like getaway trips, you're all going to the cabin or something like that in the mountains and you're just playing by a fireplace and I don't know, it's just really beautiful for for me. Thanks. I'm, I'm too much of a coward to like play it. Why is that? I, I don't know. I like, I, I feel like the, the game already is, is an emotionally vulnerable part of it mm-hmm. and I don't want to be more vulnerable than that in that like I, sure. I already know it's a game that I made right like so, right, right. so so that has some vulnerability built in I was like oh no and then I have to be vulnerable in that game too so, yeah, yeah, yeah maybe not <laughs> yeah I'm a I'm a pretty vulnerable guy myself I feel like I'd cry the whole the whole session <laughs> well then let's move on to the to the second game in the package in the zine which is Ithaca in the cards which is sort of this Almost G- you say it's GM less or GM light in in the text, but why don't you give a little walkthrough of Ithaca and the cards? 
Yeah, so I made this for Global Game Jam 2019 mm. because the theme of that was like what home means to you. So I was like, oh, mm. God, like this is like, um, like I was already thinking of like putting something together for for Homebound. And and that was just like a, a lightning bolt. Like, I, I guess I have to make something about this. So it is a, a game about, it, it's inspired by the Odyssey. Based on the name, um, Odysseus wants to return to Ithaca, and so it's it's about like travelers getting home from from like uh, finishing something, and then like okay, it's time to go home, but like the journey back is still dangerous. Um, and and the cool thing, the coolest thing I think about it is that it is it's basically blackjack, right? Mm-hmm. And like I I had like the originally I I wanted to make like oh cool systems about like traveling and like different encounters and stuff and then i was trying to fit to to find like like easy numbers for people to remember and i believe it was my wife who was like oh yeah like you know if you hit 21 you bust right like every like most people know that it's like and i i love this kind of like little hacks uh, brain hacks or whatever it is of like cultural Mm -hmm touchstones like yeah tw- mm-hmm. if you hit if you're over 21 you bust like 13 is a bad number seven is a lucky number mm-hmm. that kind of thing uh or mm-hmm. four is an unlucky number for 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 chinese superstition that kind of thing like i, I like playing too and then so once i hit upon 21 being the number I was like oh why not change the whole game to just be blackjack so i i i designed uh, as much as i can like a way for it to be blackjack <laughs> yeah like yeah. so, people draw cards and and like you're you're comparing it against the deal, the house, the deal. That's why I call it GM light. So because potentially you could just have one person play, play the dealer the whole time, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. or rotate dealers. Yeah. Yeah, for you know, it's it's almost like this. What I like about it is that even in the text you talk about how it's a game about potentially predetermined doomed characters. There's not uh, a good chance that they're going to get home. There is a chance, but it's not a good (laughs) chance. And I find that really fascinating. I'm really starting to like these games that sort of talk about uh, a friend of mine in the brain trust, Lino is making sort of a space exploration game uh mm-hmm. called 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 hold on it'll come to me it'll come to me a a quiet moment that's what it's called and the premise for their game is that you play explorers you go on the map there are these like whiteboard cards that you can draw on you roll d4 for energy and you pick some actions basically you're discovering the planet and at the end of three cycles or however long a tea light candle lasts when that goes out the sun explodes like that star explodes and your planet is destroyed so the last part of the game is that you kind of talk about what does your character think about in their final moments before death takes Mm. them and i think that this got this game fits in sort of that same emotional core a little bit of like the journey is way more than the destination sometimes. Hmm. And yeah, I think, I think games like this are, are a testament to creating around an emotion, an emotional experience you want your players to have. And 
that your rules don't have to be 300 pages long, right? Like, I think, mm. uh, you know, for me as a beginning designer, when I thought about making games, I was like, okay, the only games that exist are, like, Blades in the Dark, D&D 5e, um, what else do I have on my, on my shelf? Iron Sworn, right? Like, all those games are, like, 150 pages plus mm. of, like, strong content, and it's like, if you don't make that, you can't charge that $25 or whatever, but I think that they don't speak for how good, like word count does not equate to quality all the time. And Ithaca in the cards is, I think, 10 five, pages five, or so? Oh, 10 pages, yeah. Yeah, like 10 pages. It is a great game on 10 pages. And we had Adira Slattery on here last week mm -hmm. and she you know she has a game called chair a lyric game which is mm -hmm. a single page that you could pick up read and you're done with the game and it creates a very evocative emotional experience so i i guess for me my my takeaway for this game and for i hope people at home is that you can create games around just a feeling of exploration or if we had Adam Bell on here talking about No Stone Unturned, you can make a game about exploration and then your impact on the environment. And you can make a game about a stripped down version of the Odyssey and mm -hmm. and experience that journey even though you know you may not get home. Yeah. It's yeah, very... there, there's, there's something to be said about like dramatic irony. You know how it's going to end but you mm -hmm. you don't know how it how how it's gonna get there, mm -hmm. or you know how it's gonna get there, but like and you still want to see it play out, right? Like that's mm -hmm. like you know sometimes when you you watch like TV shows or or movies and you have that it's like yeah this isn't gonna end well for ev anyone here, and but I yeah. still want to see how 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 they deal with it, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, not not necessarily like oh, how are you gonna get out of it this time? It's it's more like oh, how how is that? How does that affect the characters? So like like the the the, the game a single moment was it that, that you mentioned? A quiet moment. A quiet moment. Yeah, mm -hmm. like like that also is like you know you have a predetermined end. Like the sun is gonna go out, the star is gonna go out, right? Like so you know mm -hmm. it's gonna end, but so you can build towards that. I think that's a powerful thing. Um, it, in that it it. F it fires the imagination because we've seen stuff like that, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think having that box of emotional constraint or, or a predetermined ending constraint, I think Band of Blades also does that to some effect mm. as, you know, you your goal is to get to Sky Dagger Keep and you travel along the continent of Aldermark. And if you want to mm. change that environment, sure, go ahead. But that game has a pre-scripted ending that determines victory for your team and you play along with that idea in mind to see what happens along the way, right? Who do yeah, you lose? Yeah, yeah, Part of the game yeah. is like, who do you lose along the way? Who do you pick up? Who do you save? Who do you let go? Like all these morality choices you're making determines these battle hardened soldiers at the end of your journey so mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah i, like, I like love you mentioned the the journey mm -hmm. is, is 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 more important than the destination for these sorts of games yeah yeah absolutely 
And then that journey, uh, see, segue, <laughs> leads us into far from home and kind of living in a new place, right? A place that is not home. So walk mm. us through far from home a little bit. Yeah, so far from home, like I mentioned, that, that was one of the games that I was working on for, for a while and like trying to get it out in some form because it... Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I, I wanted to be able to talk a little bit about the immigrant experience because I, I lived in Australia for close to 15 years and also back in Malaysia, like I'm a Chinese Malaysian with you know my 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 grandparents went from here right mm -hmm. so so it, it's something that is important to me in the sense that that it happened like i i lived it so i i wanted to 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 say something about it but um so so it's it's a no dice no masters a belonging outside belonging game a pretty mm. standard in the end, like it was a pretty standard uh, uh, adaptation, like hack of that system. I didn't actually do a lot of changes to it because I, I felt like it it provided what I needed it to provide. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I I talked about like like it coming from from like blades downtime and then to masks and then finally I was like, you know what, I think no dice no 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 masters kind of like gets me where I need to get, and it is a game that I'm I'm not confident about because i i can only really represent like my personal like experience of, of mm -hmm. being an immigrant right and there's so many different experiences no no two experiences are the same and i, I and the, the, in the game i try to like allow space for like different interpretations different experiences but I'm, i am nervous about that and i'm also I'm also kind of like nervous about like I this isn't I'm not trying to like make a statement about like the mm -hmm. immigrant experience or anything with with the game. I just wanted to try and have to to show kind of like th this is what it might be like for some people. I actually did a talk about the, the game in 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 this year's free play festival. That's mm -hmm. online on YouTube. So I I if you want to get into like more details about the game um, I I did a half an hour or an hour talk on it already, but but yeah, like like the, there's it, it it tries to like talk about like the the interactions between home and the hegemony and like how you know like 
I have conflicting feelings as well, right? Like I, I love Malaysia. I, I don't feel a strong connection to China. I love Melbourne as well. And, and there are things that I don't like about both places and, and how, how people get treated both, both sides. And I wanted to kind of like say that, not say, but I wanted to kind of like just put that into the framework of a game, of a, of a system of like how these communities interact with each other and, and how mm-hmm. that process gets mediated. Because one of the, the things that, that, that really helped, I got someone to give feedback on the, uh, on the game. And they, like one of the, 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 the things that they mentioned was that the, the way you know why why are characters kind of like interacting with each other because 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 in like in the in dream apart in in dream askew you're forming a new community right mm-hmm. and so i originally thought okay yeah like you know like immigrants kind of like band together when 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 they when they're they're in a, a different country when they're in a, a hegemony but that wasn't enough right like that that gave an a, a fictional excuse to why you would interact but like there was something missing and like the the thing that we that 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 feedback helped me arrive at is that a lot of the the reasons why we why immig- like or, or, or I'll, I'll take it personally right the, the reason that i went overseas was to study and i wanted something out of it which was you know to to get an education and 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 a degree and like you know that opens pathways to to work and but like Australia also got something out of me. Like the university got something out of me, right? They they used, mm-hmm. they they get money, right? They <laughs> they get paid one. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. But it's also like a, a, they get cultural cachet because like, oh look at all these multicultural like our people from all over the world want to come and study here because we have we have such good education standards or whatever and like it it kind of like it helps them, right? Like it, it's a two way mm-hmm. street. Like like and 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 the way immigration gets talked about, like. You know, you want the useful immigrants. You want the good ones. You want them to contribute mm-hmm. to society, like like all the shitty ways that we c- categorize and 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 put value on people in that way. And so and so that that was the thing that clicked in that like the circle, the thing that 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 binds you together in this new place, extracts something from you as well, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and if you go there to study, like in the academy circle, then they get. You know, like you, if you go do do a PhD somewhere else, they they get the they get your 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 intellectual labor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and even in the sanctuary, like if you go there as for for a humanitarian thing, they they get control. <laughs> they they see where you are, and they they know where you are, and and like yeah, it's fine as long as you we know where you are, and and you're not influencing our our country's values and changing our values yeah so so that was was a, a big kind of like a moment of inspiration i guess that 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 this is why you get you get people to to read your stuff and give you feedback mm-hmm. that was like super helpful and after that i hesitate to say that that game is finished as well like you you you, <laughs> you, you see like all, all my games i i put up i I feel they are unfinished and mm-hmm. this is a, a, a struggle. I, I think if you, you speak with a lot of other creators when, you know, there's like second editions that come out, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Like Apocalypse World has two editions. Worldwide mm-hmm. Wrestling just got a new edition. Monster Hearts has Monster Hearts 2. You know, as a designer, you're, you never finish a game. You, like, like someone said, you don't, you don't finish something, you just abandon it. 
And like, you know, it has to be done because I, I, I got to move on to other things or I had to meet a deadline. The publisher needs something to publish. Uh, abandon is probably too strong, but like you, you just have to like know that like you can keep working on it and like improving and like later on you once you've improved you can come back and revisit it as a second edition and stuff like that so i'm i still I, i'm struggling with that as well like trying to f- to figure out when games are done um and 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 i think far from home is something that like i i i'm i definitely don't feel confident in saying it's done cuz mm-hmm. i also <laughs> got got other feedback like other people have read it and like gave me really good feedback about how it doesn't doesn't talk about other aspects of the experience and especially with, like gender and stuff like that um mm-hmm. so i i will plan to i plan to continue working on it and there was also really good 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 insights on like how because I made this a pretty straightforward hack of of no dice no masters and and belonging outside belonging seeing other people work on on like and and see how they write moves for that system has also like inspired me to oh okay yeah i i i there's there's different ways to do this and like there's a reason why these things are written the way they are and why they work they work specifically for for dream askew and for dream dream apart which i didn't think about when when porting over the similar moves to to this game yeah mm-hmm. wow i personally i'm kind of blown away right now we when we had adam two things before I get into the, the personal bits. But to, we talked with Adam Bell about sometimes you make a game saying something. And I think this game definitely says a lot about your personal experiences going from multiple places and having multiple heritages uh, a part of, being a part of you. And we also talked with Spencer Campbell about, you know, feeling like your game is done we had a conversation about like what does he made a game called slayers which is kind of a codifier for monster hunter and Mm. he said you know there's some things about the game that i don't particularly love that i wrote and there's some things that i do love and we know we talked about what a second edition looks like and i think this doubles down on both of those things that your games typically say something when you make them or they can they have the ability to whether sometimes you mean it or not and then also talk about that as a designer, as an artist, as a creator, sometimes you are in a state of constant improvement and you look back at past games like, oh, that's not quite finished. But for me, for Far From Home, being a, a black American, it hits me in a, the way you talk about it hits me in a soft spot. For sure. You know, we just currently had an upswell of the Black Lives Matter movement down here in America. And I've seen it, you know, we've seen it all over the world about people who don't want to stand for the prejudices of based on the look of a person mm-hmm. and making assumptions about their stereotypes. And there is something to be said about that feeling of belonging in a place and finding an environment that feels like home in a strange place. I've always lived in America. I've never lived in another country or anything like that. But for me in the in where I live in Cleveland, there's definitely some disparities that people have about different areas. You know, places are run down and dilapidated and are not cared about and are villainized 
because mainly black people live there. But I think that one, it is a product of abandonment by people who view black people as lazy or criminal, predatory. And that's, you know, it's not true. They're, they're beautiful people there who are banding together to survive against all odds with against those who are in control of their success, really. Mm-hmm. Like some of the higher paying jobs in here are owned and run by white people. And when they look at a black person, they make assumptions of them. And like you said, there are universities out here, you know, we have scholarships for like, if you're black, you get a free $2,000 to attend here. But we also get to say we had black people at our college, or Mm. we only look for people, black people who have 4.0s from their high schools. And it's like, what, what a crazy experience to be someone from outside of a place to only be brought in as a token trophy for, for exposure. Mm. So I think that far from home while you say that you're you know you know that it doesn't touch every experience that might sit at the table playing this game and while it may not be complete i think again it's one of these games that codifies an emotion that isn't easily talked about in the open for fear of judgment or for fear of backlash and finding people who can communicate with you in your own personal language, I guess, is, is, is sort of what I'm trying to touch base with. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I hope that's yeah, what I'm I, trying to say. Yeah, <laughs> this is a podcast, so I hope people are understanding what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> yeah, like, like and, and this is the thing, right? Like, I, 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 am, I have a position of, like, immense privilege. Like, like mm-hmm, Chinese Malaysians mm-hmm. in, in, in Malaysia are, are pretty p- privileged in a lot of ways. And, like, I could afford to, like, like, like go, to, go overseas to Australia to, to study because my parents could afford to send me there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's a very different experience to, to the experience of, like, like, the Indian community or the Orang Asli community, community in Malaysia or, like, indigenous people in Australia when it's, like, it's your own, your own fucking place and, like, you... So, sorry for swearing. No, and, you're and, fine. Like, Swear away. <laughs> and, like, and, like, someone else like controls this place yeah um so 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 that's why i i always think of like like far from home is is a thing that came from my experience and it's it's a way of for for me to kind of like work through my feelings and thoughts about these things in the language that i understand which is games Right, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I want to be careful about what I'm I'm saying when I, I put it in games because like when we when you're talking about like systems and and stuff, you, it's quite easy to like accidentally say something you don't mean mean to. Mm-hmm. Like it's a it's a it's a tricky medium because you you are letting other people bring play into it. Like I I could have. You know, if if I was a better writer, I would have tried to process this by writing an article. If I was a better, you know, if I was a mu- musician, I would try to, you know, write songs about this. But like, I, I, the only thing I know how to do is make games. So, I made a game about it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's, that's why I've been struggling with this game. In that, like, I know it's not complete. I know it's not 
it's it's not it's not fully what I need I I it needs to be as a thing but it's what I needed it to be at that point in time as a way mm-hmm. for me to express what I thought about about these things and and like put it in a in a language that I understood and could speak that I, I guess that that's the more important part it's a language that I am able to to wield um mm-hmm. And, and, and this the because one of the the things that I'm I, I'm very aware of is that like a lot of attention that that gets paid to like games like this is like oh they become kind of like empathy tourism. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I, and I struggled with like trying trying to like like get the this game together because I was like I was that that was something I was aware of, and mm-hmm. and in, in was kind of afraid of, and, mm-hmm. and then finally like someone told me like look just putting into those words it's like you know how to make the game make the game right and if mm-hmm. if it's wrong if people use it the wrong way or or it doesn't say the thing you want it to say then you change it right like mm-hmm. you, you are in control of it like you can mm-hmm. make a second edition you can print a retraction like mm-hmm. if and, and this is the thing about about making games it's not just about you you getting better as a designer sometimes you reserve the right to change your mind about how you f- how you thought of and and felt about a thing right mm-hmm. like this is why you you get rid of race in D&D because like oh yeah like there's a lot of like weird race science shit that like this plays into that we think that you know it's it's not even about like being a better game designer it's just like yeah i, I learned more and changed as a human being and i don't want that in the game anymore yes Yes, yeah. I love that. I love every word that just came out of your mouth. I mean, I've loved every word that's come out of your mouth so far, but I really think that hits the nail on the head is that you you have the right, you have the ability to go back and be like, you know what, I had a really interesting year, and I think that, you know, D&D 5e has some things that I don't love about it, so I'm going to change it. I'm going to say, you know what, we don't need this stuff. We don't need this lore. We don't need this setting <laughs> junk. We don't need. We don't need to codify races with. Yeah, these, yeah. Dwarves are know, tall stats. now. Yeah, d- yeah. Like <laughs> fuck it. Like it's what's going to happen because that makes for a more approachable and accessible and diverse style of play, right? It, it's speaking in the vacuum of of D anD D five e. So to hold the right as a designer to go back and you know, say, you know what. I'm a better person or I believe that I'm a better person now than I was before when I made this game five years ago. I think that it's, it needs a change. I think there needs to be something different. It says, right. So I I Mm. think that's a really good thing for listeners to have in their toolkit is always the ability to go back and say, I'm, I know different now. And I think that I can make, a better version of this same game. And I think there'll be people who appreciate that. So, and that, you know, that affects the change you want to see in the world as a designer as well. You know, games also help influence ideas just as music or art pieces do. do, So, The next segment I have here is our design trends. So in this segment, I'll it's sort of like a partial lightning round thing 
but in your sphere of influence or from your personal beliefs, what are some trends that you like that you're seeing in the design community? What are some trends that you maybe don't like that you're seeing? What are some things that you want to see or some things that you would like to see go away as a design trend? (laughs) You don't have to answer all of those, but just some like touch points of, of what you're interested in as far as design trends. Yeah, I think we already covered this kind of like in, in talking about phase play. Phases, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like that that's a thing a thing that I, I'm I'm paying attention to partly because like I, I made a couple of games and I and I I wanna look at someone else's test sheets, you know? I wanna copy their answers instead of working on my own stuff. Like someone <laughs> else like like design it so that I can I, I don't have to. Like don't like <laughs> <laughs> but but yes, like that's something that I'm excited about. Like that that uh, idea of like, yeah, let's let's move between phases. Um, and and let's actually like let's clearly delineate things that you can do in a phase. Like I think mm-hmm. I think it's not just about phases, right? It's about the 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 concept that like downtime actions from from Forge in the Dark. Why I'm excited about them is because they make very clear operational. They put very clear operational things to things that that structures. Sorry, they put very clear operational structures to things that previously had just been like oh the, the gm will work something out right mm-hmm. like no, no 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 if you want to create a thing here's how you do it here's your how your long-term project works here's how you clear mm-hmm. your stress and mm-hmm. it ties into like the, the core systems of the game right and there are there are clear actions that you can do there's 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 rules that support it but also there's flexibility for you to like like i, I play in a, a regular beam saber game and like my favorite like games are the downtime games right like i know mm-hmm. some people play they, they they get through a a mission and a downtime in a single session but we don't we split our downtime and our missions to like separate sessions partly because we don't because yeah because we don't have time uh and that i'm, I'm <laughs> playing on a time time zone difference so like we play only like two hours two mm-hmm. two and a, three three hours at most so partly is a time constraint you know after the half an hour of like catching up you know, you don't have that much time to like get through everything that you want to get through, um, be- because of the time difference. I'm playing with people in 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 Australia, so like, mm-hmm. like it gets really late for them, and I always feel bad that like I keep my players late. But but it also like I I really look forward to like the downtime things because like they there there's a clear mechanical part that that you you interact with and then you you build all the narrative around it which is actually kind of like how combat works in a lot of other systems right there mm-hmm. are very clear mechanical things that you do that get us that get a very clear outcome and then you role play with the outcomes but mm-hmm. but it gives you that like like systemic thing to do, to do with non-combat things like i i feel that like like missions in in blades and in like beam saber and stuff like that it's like they feel a lot more they, they feel like like less like combat than downtime does in, in mm-hmm. a weird way in that like mm-hmm. yeah in, 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 that, in like, an operational think, sense yeah 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 because like, okay this is the action that you take and then there's an outcome and then we, we role play through the, the the steps that we got to that outcome you know you know uh, the best like my favorite move in, in a fortunate guy Dark game is the cut loose from from beam saber because it ties in two things. One is like re- reducing stress and also building relationships with your between your characters within that mm-hmm. one move. So it's always a really good like character character moment. So like you you get and, and because it's a thing like you you always have stress to clear hundred mm-hmm. percent. Like you gotta have yeah, stress to yeah. clear, and so you always want to take the cut loose action. And because the cut loose action always comes with a new belief 
like and so so it encourages you to like like play out the 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 interactions and like relationships between the characters in a in a like you know the system encourages that to happen and like puts a puts a, a mechanical focus on it and and so it's really cool when that happens like we always have uh, cut loose and I, I always love cut loose happening because it just means mm. yeah let's put these two characters into a situation where they're trying to like relax or like make each other feel better and then they they interact and like get learn something about each other so, so i i want to see more of those types of things um mm. rather so it's not just about phased play, but about rethinking how some of those actions within those phases uh, could be, right? Mm. And I and I think like I think Iron Swan does something. I, I have I, it's been a while since I, I read Iron Swan, but I think Iron Swan does. Uh, I might be thinking of a different game. Sort of. It has for a lot of its adventure and relationship moves. It does give way to having scenes around when you use those moves like taking a journey d- talking about what happens at each milestone and yeah, then yeah, the, combat the is sort of its, and, yeah yeah exactly and you can you can use the milestone system as and you know it's just a track which is like a clock and blades in the dark for anyone that's not played either of the other game but it's basically like you work towards a goal and at each milestone point, you can talk about like, you know, you're halfway through your track and you can talk about being halfway through the journey. Like you could be like, oh, it's been so long. I'm so tired already. And we still have so far to go. We're still searching for this thing. And you can come to the last box of your track and be like, okay, I can see the cave from here. Like mm-hmm. all those, all those little abstract things allow you give you the sort of prompts necessary to access the role play, right? That I think mm. that's where Iron Sworn has its strengths is its combination of what does the move say you're doing and where do you stand on the current section of the track? How do you, how does that play into feeling completed about what you're doing? I think that yeah, I love phased play. I think phased play is important going forward, especially for creating games that are more approachable for people. Like D&D 5e is a huge game that plays, like you talk about how in combat, the system has you play around the result or the outcome of the system. And sometimes I think that D&D 5e has you do doesn't give you any prompt for what's happening. All the heavy lifting of role play strictly comes from the players. It doesn't come from the game. The game just tells you how well you did or did not do at something that you were attempting to do, and then you as the player have to sort of drag out the role play from that result, right? Got a natural 20. Okay, whatever I was doing is a good thing, but it doesn't give you any boxes to work within. And I'm a strict believer that when you create a box for creative or a, a box of limitations, you create the spark of creativity from those because mm-hmm. you're trying to just use that single resource to extrapolate an experience or an idea, which is why I like things like moves or um having delineated actions like in Blades mm-hmm. in the Dark does or powered by the apocalypse or masks or whatever. Mm. So yeah, I I agree. I think there's something really important to be said about phases in games and having, it's almost like getting more bang for your buck too. Like you're getting, 
in Blades in the Dark, you're getting two mm-hmm. games. You're getting a micro game <laughs> in the scores, systems, stress, actions, whatever have you. And then you're getting another game in the macro of uh, manipulating factions, long-term projects, having role play scenes about getting rid of your stress. And like you said, Bean Saber Cut Loose is just a push on how much can we fit inside of one move, right? Not only Mm. are you getting rid of stress, but you're also establishing a new belief and having a scene with someone, which helps to put more continuity into the narrative as well Mm -hmm. through a single move and then you get another move after that so like i think there's this talk about phases having separate mini game systems and packing those moves or actions or skills or whatever have you with maybe like two or three benefits right yeah 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 like clear mechanical benefits that players want yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah, I got a, sh- a shout out like Friends at the Tables partisan game mm. for like like showing me what downtime could be because because mm-hmm. I I realized that we we couldn't fit uh when I realized we couldn't fit like mission and downtime within a single session most most times like that was a really great example of how like you you can build out like downtime to not just be picking uh, uh action to do right and encouraging mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like characters like role play, play through downtime together was was that was a, a really good um waypoint to like you know oh okay that's how you could do it because because yeah they, they did really cool downtime only episodes of of the uh podcast i don't want to touch on one thing it's not so much that i don't like it but i would like i, I would like games to look worse Partly selfishly because like I don't have layout skills, <laughs> so all my games are just like in in I, I just do them in Word with image on top, and like yeah they look bad, and I I know they they should be like more usable and stuff, and I'm I'm working on that. But if if people would be not as good as layout and like make make worse looking games, that would be great for me. There'd be less pressure for one. There'd be less work for me to do, but but. Behind that 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 shit post, th- there's a thing to to be said about like I I do kind of miss the the idea of like just like getting a game that is just a a Reddit post, you you know, like mm-hmm. like there's a there's a product productization of games now that like oh it has to have nice layout it has to have nice nice design, like it has to look good and yes like it's it's good for the players because like there's more thought being put into like user experience and and accessibility so so i i'm i'm fully behind all of that but also on the other hand there's a, a small part of me that's like yeah i miss i miss when games could just look like like t- like a word document right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. i have games saved from like old like you know the the yeah like there's a game that's just a, a reddit post that i've saved <laughs> Mm-hmm. I like. I have no idea wh- whether whether the the person who made it like went on to like put it somewhere else and and change mm-hmm. the name and that's why I can't find it. But like I just have an image like a screenshot of a Reddit post. It's like yeah, I want I want to play that game one day, <laughs> and like that that kind of like lo-fi aesthetic. I I want to come back and and I think some people, especially in the lyric game community, yeah, do do have the that kind of like lo-fi aesthetic. But like I like mm-hmm. to see more. You know that there's the meme going around of like, oh, I want to see shorter games made by less people, paid more and look worse. Mm-hmm. I kind of mm-hmm. want that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as much as I laughed, <laughs> I do think there's this misconception, and I I have 
been guilty of this myself that every other page needs to have amazing art on it and the whole layout design it has like splash pieces in the corners and like there's this fade out behind it and like you know a lot of people's touch points first touch point of of games currently at least for for what i think my, my generation of game designer is which is i've only been interested in game design in the last three years so i guess it's mm-hmm. not you know my experience doesn't matter what yeah. i think no, is important no, it really is, doesn't yeah yeah it i think there's a misconception about a pretty book is a successful book mm-hmm. and i think that we need to start looking past those things i mean not look past them i think there's something to be said about beautiful art on on products but that's that is not the piece that makes the game. What makes the game is the hard work that went into figuring out gameplay loops, play testing, and all that stuff. Yeah, and and, and and it is the thing, right? Like I agree with that, and I also don't in the sense that like I recognize that the graphic design is game design, right? Like mm-hmm. in 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 a medium where where ba- basically you're just reading words on a page how the words are lay out, laid out, how they are structured, that is designing the game. Mm. Which is why I, I wanted to caveat that, that this isn't like me railing against like, like sure. graphic design or whatever. It's just, it's just a, a, a yeah, I, I kind of want both to exist, right? I want, I want mm-hmm. like so-called shitty looking games to also like exist. And, and a lot of times like they, they, they do, like their, their minimalist aesthetic is a design choice. Right, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it is a a thought out choice to like have a a, a game look the way it, it does, and I I'm, I'm I I really do believe that 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 like it's it's for the better, like that that more people think about how how their the the graphic design of the game works, but at the same time, like I'm I'm bad at it, so like mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's hence the joke of like yeah, let's can you please like make your games look worse so that mine look bad, don't look so bad in comparison. <laughs> Aaron, your games do not look bad. I love I have loved the design of all of your games. And I am worse than you. So you are better than me, right? It's all it's no. all a comparison <laughs> <Come on. laughs> relative thing. No, I'm serious. Uh, listen, I currently am just like working in Notion trying to make a game and just put words to the page first and now I'm like trying to figure out affinity publishing. Re- release a game in Notion, come on. Like like just give yeah. people access to like the Yo. Notion thing. It's like, yeah. We'll have to have a separate conversation about that <laughs> because I've been thinking something something to that effect for sure. Is there anything, Aaron, that you are looking forward to making? This is sort of like the future section of mm-hmm. of the podcast. And is there either I know you you kind of touched on you don't feel like you have much of anything to plug at this exact point in time. Yeah. But is there a con or a jam or uh, a game that's like rolling around in your head that you haven't gotten to paper yet that you want to talk about? 
Well, I, I guess I'll, I'll give a shout out to Session Zero. Uh, I'll be doing mm. a demo of uh, Ithaca in the cards and also Dungeon Whatever at that. That's an online con coming up in January. I think it's January 30th. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to feature a lot of great uh, designers from South- the Southeast Asia region. And... Yeah, I, I, and they're they're using Gather Town. I think it's it's the, it's a it's like a virtual space thing that looks pretty mm-hmm. cool. Like it's uh, so it's not just like a Discord server, which like a lot of cons have had to use the last year, which which is fine. It's great, but like I'm I'm kind of like excited to see what they do with that con. So yeah, if you want to check out those games, sign up for that con, and and I'll be demoing then. In terms of like stuff that I'm working on, <laughs> I, do, I don't like, yeah, I just finished all of that. I'm like, oh yeah, I don't really want to think about like design for a while. But I also had a thought because I, I'm also preparing for, for Session Zero to like to run a, a demo game. And I was like, oh, what kind of demo scenario should I run? And there's a thing that I've been doing for my friends, which is I've been, I've been basically running PUBG games mm-hmm. as fantasy mm-hmm. maps, right? like converting PUBG's Arangel and Mirama maps into like maps for for like our our games. Like we've played, mm-hmm. we basically played PUBG fantasy PUBG. Like you go around, there's like a circle that that, that draws in. That's just like you know, it's just like a clock uh, that ticks down, and like the circle is closing in, and like the circle is actually like some magical disturbance, and like you go around like loot, and, and like you know, there's no role. I mean, there's some role play, but like it's it's just loot. You just go around and like loot stuff and like try and like, and then uh, you get dropped in with like other mercenaries and you have to fight them for loot and stuff like that. So it's it's basically fantasy PUBG that I've been doing for my friends for for like a couple of games and like uh-huh. I'm thinking of because I, I I'm probably gonna run that as the demo as well. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm thinking of kind of like prettying them up and putting them together as a thing that you can get on on itch. Just so if you want to run a scenario that is fantasy PUBG, you can. I love yeah, I it, love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty no. fun. Like it's a really good concept for for like if if you want just like a yeah, like a loot and slash way like session like you know no no drama nothing. It's just like let's just grab some stuff. It's it's a it's a pretty good like uh, concept. There's I am where first of all, I love the thought of translating a very modern touchstone into a tabletop game. I think there is certainly this explosion of intellectual properties being turned into games. I know that there is a Hyperlight Drifter RPG being oh, worked yeah, on. Yeah. Sort of it's a, I oh yeah, I I love it. I've I fucking love everything that Andreas has done for that for that game. But also stuff like Marvel tabletop games that are sort of using their own systems. I'm currently working on like a Devil May Cry, trying to get a hack and slash to feel like a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I saw bits of that on the Break Trust server, yeah. Oh, thanks. But I think there's this really cool notion of concept where... It's the same thing as like in 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 novel writing. Like I used to want to be a novel writer for a while and you weren't a novel writer if you didn't read the classics. It's sort of like the elitist purview of it. Yeah, the uh, canon and all that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that 
in all forms of creation, all forms of design, you know, for America, speaking strictly to, to that vacuum, we're looking at the loss of the table when it comes to tabletop, right? So a lot of my guests have been talking about creating digitally focused games using virtual tabletops, using Discord. The co-hosts of the Brain Trust podcast, Will and Adam, created a game called Open World RPG where it's literally just a road trip you take using the Google Maps function on like a browser. And it's... mind-blowing it's absolutely insane how creative that is to me and how that creates a pop culture reference for people to use when they're playing games like you talked about earlier how using those cultural baggage points of like 21 and you bust 13 is an unlucky number seven is a lucky Mm. number like using current touchstones that sort of touch base with a lot of people PUBG, discord having a road trip on Google Maps, like I'm sure people have thought about that stuff, just haven't executed it as a game. And now people are creating those games. And I think that it appeals to a much, I don't want to say wider audience, a more current audience. I think it. I think what those games create is getting outside, outside the bounds of the elitist gatekeepers of like, old D&D, right? Like people who are like, I don't want peanut butter in my chocolate. Stop mixing D&D 5e with all this. You know, there's been a big controversy around the creation of homebrewed wheelchair mechanics. And a lot Mm. of people were against its inception and saying like, it's not necessary for the game. Why would my fantasy hero want to be in a wheelchair? And it's not about that. It's about creating a more accessible, approachable game that tells a wider range of stories. And I think putting those modern aspects into games today is powerful, I guess is what I'm ultimately saying is that I think there's now a separation of culture for video games that have way different touch points than people of older generations may like. And I think that's a good thing. Hmm. At least in my opinion. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I think that there's definitely a lot of like crossover between like video (laughs) game and, and like RPG people like, like, like recently there was the uh, Bioware revealed that they had made a blades in the dark hack. Omni Blades in the Dark. Yeah, yeah. Some people in Bioware had been working on their own inter- internally, had been making their own Blades in the Dark hack. And they played a game of it on on YouTube or, or Twitch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so that, Oh, that, that was, was that Mass Effect yeah. game, right? The Mass yes, Effect yes. universe one? Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and like the 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 fact that they they used blades in the dark was i i i think is like really interesting because like mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of where previously a lot of that that crossover potential felt limited to D just because of D's like cultural gravity that that people are branching out more to like different systems different spaces yeah mm-hmm. i think it i think it's healthy i think it's healthy for game design at least you know in my amateur opinion very least it's new things to steal from (laughs) yes exactly yes new things to steal from that's that's what i want to see as a trend i want to see more new things stolen from stop 
making D and D homebrew hacks. Start doing other things, or make a D and D homebrew hack that's not D and D. So for this last little bit, Aaron, I'm going to pull up my rollable table <laughs> and I am going to roll a dice, which I should have had out already. But this is like my secondary lightning round ditty where we'll, I'm going to put this right next to the mic for the ASMR experience. And I'm just gonna roll randomly. This is probably gonna be a, a prompt that we may not have talked about today. That might be more business related or something like that. So, boop. all right, Aaron. Using the prompt of publishing, do you have a tip? for the listeners out there and it and it can be to any touch point of your experience with with that subject it doesn't have to be like you have to be a master of publishing to answer (laughs) this question it's just in your experience what have you done with publishing of your games what have you done for preparing for it you know things like kickstarter or putting them out on itch or graphic design stuff i think is all is all important to that, right? What do you what do you think that prompt? What tip can you give using the prompt of publishing? Make zines, I think, and make shitty zines to, mm-hmm. to that. I, I think one of the things that that Zine Quest has has shown is that like it's a little bit. I'm not super happy about like some of the effects of Zine Quest, where like people think zines are are like a, a heavily produced thing now. Like mm-hmm. like we like this kind of like ties into like my previous thing about making your games make make games that look worse. Is that I, I think people they they, they can they, they can get like daunted by like oh like Zine Quest is a big thing on like Kickstarter and like zines have to have a print run of like a a hundred zines or something like that and and like it has to have nice graphic design with nice art when when a lot of the zine maker ethos is just like staple some pieces of paper together and like handwrite some things and like i I think learning how to make a zine will 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 kind of like will let you see like how much of that process is kind of like really actually pretty accessible like you just need a long arm stapler and a printer and like you're good to go right Mm -hmm. um and and like like making home homebound was like really eye opening for me and like oh, I can just kind of like make a zine for myself, you mm-hmm. know, right? Like I I I made that with the audience of like 20, 30 people that I wanted to give it to, mm-hmm. and then the rest of it is just like yeah I'll just put it online, and if like and 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 if you if you want the higher reach then you can go go through itch and stuff like that. But like I I think go through the the process of making a zine, work with a a, a layout artist and something or or and a so a layout designer and an artist like just just make something it doesn't have and and make one make two like give it to like make make a make a game and a zine for for your for just your game group right mm-hmm. like if you if you have a regular group like make 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 something that like collects all your homebrew stuff together that you've cobbled together the whole time with this group and and publish it as the zine for this group and you say hey this is what we all made together 
and and it can be as as nice looking or as as shitty looking as you like yeah because i i don't have like professional publishing experience but i i i think people should make stuff mm. and 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 not feel daunted about having all the right skills or tools to make it look professional like just just make stuff that that you you want to see in the way you want to see it yeah mm-hmm. wow i think that's i think you and me align on those thoughts for sure of just you know just make something and you can make something small like like i kind of touched on earlier you don't have to make a 150 page game you can make a 10 page zine and still be successful and it doesn't even have to be heavily graphic designed or have amazing photography or Mm -hmm. whatever have you right it can it can be on a word document overlaid with some pictures (laughs) (laughs) some clip art even that's really good that's a really good tip aaron aaron i want to thank you so much for being on the show uh little little ultra plug where can people find you where can they talk to you where should they find your stuff no it's it's been an absolute ple- pleasure jeremy sorry for going long but like i, I love long <laughs> i think Wink. i think it's because i haven't been able to talk to a lot of people so it's it's, mm-hmm. it's nice to talk so yeah you can find my stuff on aaron lime e-h-r-o-n-l-i-m-e dot itch dot io and I'm on Twitter under that handle as well, at Aaron Lime, E-H-R-O-N-L-I-M-E. If you want to remember that. It's, it's just my name, Aaron Lim, spelled wrong. Heard, heard. <laughs> I know uh, people, all the... people have asked me, and like, what is that? Is that Aaron Lime? I was like, no, it's just, it's, just, it's just my name spelled wrong. I'm sorry. I'm I just, just being, being a goofy shit poster. that's all. <laughs> Great. All those links will be in the... In the description below, everyone, again, Aaron, thank you so much. And for everyone listening out there today, thank you for joining us. I hope you learned a lot because I know I certainly did. Goodbye, everyone. Say bye to the people, Aaron. Bye to the people. (laughs) All right, that's a wrap. I am very appreciative of the perspective that Aaron gave us with his experiences around the world and distilling those into these games. Aaron, continue to stay true to who you are. You will go far. All the games we've talked about today, along with all the links to get in touch with Aaron, will be down below in the show notes for your access. If you like the show and found it helpful, please send a tip my way over on Ko-fi, or if you are unable to donate, please consider sharing this with the person you thought of while listening to this episode and leave a review. Both of those methods greatly impact the success of this show and lets me know that what I'm doing is beneficial to designers out there. If you finally got your game off the ground and out in the world, you can tag me at JeremyGage5 over on Twitter with the hashtag IDidIt. That's I-D-Y-D-I-T. Thanks for listening, and I will catch you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.